You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking with Authors, the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Lance. Um, Our sponsor today, Skunk Brother Spirit, coupon code DWA10. Don't forget to check them out. Um, my amazing Wearing Wonder Woman t-shirt, if you're watching this live, co-host today is Danielle Orsino, and our guest is Jay Ember Prince. Did I say that right? Yes. You got it. Woo! Okay. Or Jessica, but that's the pen name. That's important. Here we go. Welcome to the show. Danielle, I forgot. I forgot to let you do your thing. If you're listening or you're watching, don't be shy. Just hit us up and like and subscribe. See, I got a little rhyme going on there. Yeah, I like that. That was totally, we should get that. We'll have to record that. Okay. Let's talk about first what we're drinking. So I may have had for dinner some of this, so I'm going to finish it off. It's um, it's that Pacific Rim. Oh, it's that Riesling that you like. Yeah, I really do enjoy this, and I still, it's killing me. What is 70% organic about it? But I may have already had a couple. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. We're not going to have judgment on this show right before nope. I got on. This is a judgment-free zone. Yep. Judgment-free zone. D- Danielle, my love, what are you drinking? I'm, I'm still trying to get over this, like, whatever cough thing I had. So I'm sticking with some uh, celestial seasoning thing, peach tree. But it's in my Lady Penelope cup. You see, there we go with the merch. Lady oh. Penelope is, is is there, and she's uh, housing my peach tree tree tea. That's I like that. Tea. I like that. Okay, I still have my COVID cough, as some people have heard, and I am treating it with my seventy percent organic white riesling. It's organic riesling, so it's medicinal. I just said white riesling, so that should tell you about where I'm at on the drinking thing. Jessica, Got what it. are you drinking? I am drinking, um, it's called a Reaper. It, um, you can see it here. The, uh, it's got a lot of ingredients. The main ingredient is chartreuse, which is this really weird liqueur from like a hundred million years ago. Um, it's been the same recipe, um, done by monks in France. There's a green and a yellow. I can't really tell. There's a little bit of a difference between the two. The green tastes a little bit like a rosemary liqueur, but it's sweet. Um, so it's really great paired with like fruity stuff. Oh, wow. Like when I that. did my book launch party, the restaurant um, had a drink that they renamed for me um, to go with uh, the character. So I'm using that. Very cool. Oh, very cool. Okay. So for those listening that may not know you, what do you write? So I predominantly write romance. Um, I write supernatural romance, but I've also written um, like gothic, uh, modern gothic ghost stories. Um, So a little bit of both, but right now I am focusing on the romance and my novels. Very, very cool. So, well, let's start with how many books do you have out? So I have one. So I launched my debut novel this year in August. I'm very excited about it. And I have another one coming out next year and um, the third shortly behind. I'm also working on um, another series that'll have four books that'll come out in 2024. So, wow. Yeah. 
So that's I'm, a lot of writing. It is. <laughs> I'm going to try. You I'm going to try to keep up the schedule. You have it all planned out? I do. So this series is complete. The current series that I'm working on is completely plotted out. Um, and book two is mostly done. Book three I've started. And I am just now in the research phase for um, the next series. That'll be the four books. Do you do a lot of research? Is that like, is that a major part of your writing is research? I do. I do a lot of research more. It's more not for factual information. Well, I do that as well, but it's more for character development. I really spend a lot of time thinking about what I want my characters to be. All of my stories start with the character first, and then I build everything around that. So I spend a lot of time um, figuring out their personalities and reactions to things and building kind of like a psychological profile for them first. So what's the name of the, uh, the book that you have out right now? It's called The Ash Gardeners. And it is uh, kind of a mashup. Um, so which my first mistake was not writing to market. So my next series will be written to market. But The Ash Gardeners is a mashup between like sci-fi and modern fantasy romance. So there's a lot of supernatural elements in it um, and a lot of mythology that revolves around um, death and the afterlife. And that's part of a, an ongoing series you were saying, correct? Yes. Yep. Three book series. And when you started writing it, was that your plan? I'm going to, okay, here I am. I'm going to sit down and plot out the series. It's going to go three books. Or did you just go, eh, I'm going to write? Uh, mostly. Yeah, I'm going to write. So I started it. I had no idea how to write. I had it kind of, I sat down one day and I was, um, came up with these characters in my head and I was telling my husband about it. And he's like, you should really write that stuff down. I'm like, yeah, whatever. It's just fun. Um, so when I did finally sit down to write, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, I didn't know that there had to be like a plot <laughs> and it couldn't just be these characters interacting and having fun dialogue. Um, so I wrote most of the book um, in about three months and I had no idea what I wanted the ending to be. I just free wrote. I had no, I had no outline whatsoever. And then I put it in a drawer and didn't look at it again for maybe five years. And um, then I decided oh, I should pull this thing out and give it an ending gave it a horrible ending, stuck it in a drawer, didn't look at it again for another three years. And then 2020 came around and I thought, I'm gonna pull this old book out and uh, make something out of it. And in the meantime, I had taken a ton of craft classes and um, things like that with my local writing group and realized that I had no idea what I was doing when I started and fixed it, worked with a developmental editor, um, polished it up and got it ready for publication, so. And when you were working process. with a developmental editor, what did you, what was the biggest aha moment you had during working with that developmental editor? There are a couple of things. Um, she, there's a lot of plot lines. You know, it went from a manuscript that had zero plot to a manuscript mm -hmm. that had a bunch of different intersecting plot lines. And her biggest thing was that she was confused by them. And she helped me um, see where the, where the points where the reader would get confused. Um, and I was able to fix those and make it come together a little bit better. And then when you finished that manuscript, were you like, okay, now I'm gonna sit down and do book two and book three, yes. did you kind of then sit and say, I'm just gonna bang these all out. So you had one complete uh, finished series or did you sit and go, you know what, let me just walk away from this for, for a little while and then come back around. What was your, what was your thinking? Behind a it. little bit of both. A little bit of both. I um, knew that I didn't want to. It was very painful to have to rehash a book that was already written and try to insert plots and things like that. Um, so I knew that I wanted to outline the next two books um, and to make sure that I didn't have to 
um, backtrack so much like I did with the first one and fix so many things. So I did sit down and plot out um, those two books and start writing right away. Um, but I did take a break um, this summer. I stopped writing this summer. I really didn't write much at all um, because the the whole getting a book into the market uh, was a whole learning curve. You don't know what you don't know until you start to do things. Um, yes. So learning how to work with Amazon behind the screens, scenes and Ingram Spark and um, how to format a book and all of those things. It definitely took a long time. I also had COVID for a month when I did it. Ooh. And so I was formatting when I had COVID. So my brain was kind of fried when I did it, but uh, it all worked out. Yeah. So That's you went from becoming so a pantser to a plotter. I'm, yes, I yes, I did very much so. Now my plots are very, um, they're loose. I have an idea of the different scenes and all the different um, places that the plot needs to be moved forward. Um, but it's literally like, it's literally on postcards or note cards. And then I just go through, so I have it all set out. And then I do more of the discovery writing to flesh out the scenes when I'm doing it. I was going to ask, because now you're thinking in series, did that come from getting sort of educated or did you already know you wanted to go in that direction? No, I knew that was where a lot of um, in paranormal romance, fantasy romance and the kind of the supernatural um, areas that I write in those were the more successful books and that's what people are doing. Um, so I did learn that that was something that I needed to do. I kind of knew that already, but I didn't plan it at first because I started writing this book with no plan whatsoever. But as soon as I started revising it and getting into it, um, I saw where the plot could go and um, kind of decided about halfway through that that's the direction I wanted to go in. I think that's true because I think a lot of times people fall in love with characters like you know, in the past, it wasn't really an option for people in some genres. I mean, it's still the case, but to fall in love with characters because authors weren't necessarily series-based writers. They didn't mm -hmm. think like that. And that shifted so much that now they are. So what was it like to have your, your first book and it comes out and then it's in your hands and it's this thing you created? What, what was that moment like? Well, it was very exciting. Um, it was, it wasn't as surreal as I thought it would be just because by the time that I actually got the book, the first like author copy back, I had been so frustrated with the, the formatting and getting everything loaded into Ingram Spark with so many little glitches and things. Um, so I was happy when I got it, but it was like, oh, finally. I also had um, a, a short story come out in an anthology earlier this year. So that was the first book that I had that was, you know, my name in print. So that was really exciting. Um, but I had that surreal moment when that book first came out. And then when my book came, I was like, oh yeah, it's done. It's here. This is great. Yeah. So you self-published. Did you ever think of going traditional? I originally, I thought that's the only way that I wanted to go. Um, just, I figured, I thought self-publishing would be really difficult, that it would take a lot of time, that I just wanted somebody else to do all that for me so that I could just write. Um, one of the classes that I took through one of my local writing groups was a self-publishing masterclass, just out of kind of morbid curiosity um, to see how much work it actually was. And um, one of the big things that I learned from the instructor is that even traditionally published authors still have to do 80% of the work that self-published authors do um, with marketing because the uh, publishing company really only pushes your book a few months before, a few months after, and then it's on you. Um, so... I knew that I would have my work cut out with out for me either way. 
And when I started looking at like royalty shares and the fact that unless you're one of the like top 2% of authors, you're really not making a ton of money as a traditionally published author. So I thought it would be better for me to go self-publishing where I can um, have all my royalties. No, that makes sense. I think it's it's definitely different for every person and what mm -hmm. the effort, like you walked into the class and you're like, I can do this. Some people walk into the class and go, I am never going to do this. This is, I mean, your frustration in dealing with Ingram, for instance, in your upload, some people are like, that's it. KDP Unlimited, that's all I'm doing and I'm walking away, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, I had a lot of experience um, with my day job. I had worked with behind the scenes with websites. I've done a lot of marketing. I've done a lot of sales for my day job. So I kind of had, I was going through the class and all of the skills. I'm like, I can do all of these things. I'm comfortable with all of these things. And she had to decide if I want to do them. Uh, but in the end, I decided that that was kind of the way that I wanted to go. And now I don't have, I have no regrets. Very cool. What has the reaction been to the book? It's been very good so far. So everyone who's read it, the reviews are very good. Um, it was a finalist for um, an RWA chapter award, a Daphne du Maurier award. And it's also um, for consideration on the Book Life Prize. And it got very high scores. It got a 9.25 out of 10, which I was very excited wow. about. And I got a great blurb from um, the person who did the write-up for the Book Life Prize um, and that person um, all of their reviewers are all Publishers Weekly reviewers. So I was very excited um, that it got a great review. Very cool. And you said 2020 you started writing. Was this the COVID seclusion and you were like, I need to do something while I'm home? Yeah, our company sent us home with laptops and we worked from home for a couple months. And um, I locked myself in my office and decided to put something, put the book together and finish it and fix it. Um, but yeah, it was basically a COVID project. A COVID, you got to love the COVID yeah. projects because yeah. that came out. So did you ever write when you were younger? Did you ever, besides, you know, going through these sort of years and your husband going, you should write that down. Did you ever do that when you were younger? I did. So I wrote a lot of poetry like everybody else. I wrote tons of really angsty, really terrible poetry when I was a teenager, middle school and high school. Um, I won some awards. I also um, wrote for the school newspaper, um, but I never thought of writing as a career, even though I had worked with the newspaper and worked closely with the um, town newspaper. I didn't really consider writing or journalism or anything like that as a, like, a real job. And I don't know why, I mean, a wonderful job, but no one ever presented that to me as an option. Um, so I just thought of it as a hobby and um, something I did for fun. And I didn't really take it seriously until I started to really work on my manuscript and um, see other authors who were doing kind of the same thing and were doing some amazing things um, in the indie author world that inspired me to try it myself. Very cool. Have you done a live event yet? I have done several, yes. Okay, um, that's, so what was that like the first time getting in front of people with your book? Because that's a very different feeling. It's not like, you know, when you go to Barnes & Noble and you're perusing yourself, you're the one sitting in front of everybody now. Yeah, so the doing a reading is really hard. I hate reading in front of people. I get really nervous, um, but I'm a people person. I am um, an extrovert, so I love being with people. I love, you know, that kind of feeds my muse being around people all the time. So as long as I don't have to read out loud, um, I love live events. So I love book signings and um, live uh, sales events with folks. It's been a lot of fun. And I've sold, I sell a ton of books when I do live signings and events like that. 
So have you had anybody approach you yet that has read your book that's come to meet you at the event? Not someone who has read it and then come to meet me, um, other than people that I know. They don't count. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Friends and family do not count in that category. No. <laughs> so. What was it like signing your first book? Um, it was a little nerve wracking because I did not practice my signature ahead of time. And I was like, oh, shit, I don't know what this is supposed to look like. How do I keep it consistent? Like, is this legible? Is this messy? Can somebody read it? So it was a little nerve wracking the first time because I had no idea how to sign um, my pen name because it's not the name I normally use in my day to day um, stuff that I sign. So it was a little bit of a, a oh crap moment. And then I settled on a signature and that first one was it. <laughs> you do a little message? A lot of authors do little messages in their books. Do you do that? I do if they want me to. I ask if they'd like me to personalize it. So if they don't want me to personalize it, I don't. But sometimes they, they say, oh, yeah, sure. So. Very cool. Danielle, I'm sorry. You were doing so well as my lovely internet <laughs> glitched again. Great internet. Now I'm doing awesome. the dark phases of Erica. <laughs> uh, what made you pick your cover? What, what, what went into like deciding on your cover? Did you have did you have an idea at first, like as you were writing the book, were you like, yes, my cover is definitely going to look like this or like that? Did you consult somebody? Had What went into your cover design? I had no idea what I wanted it to look like. I did a lot of um, like market research, looking at other covers in the genre and things that I like. And then I started looking for cover designers. And I found a cover designer that had done a lot of like paranormal romance covers that I really, really liked. Um, so approached him and we kind of bounced a lot of ideas back and forth. Um, he actually is the one that came up with the final cover. I had some ideas that were pretty terrible <laughs> and he was wonderful at like guiding me in the right direction. He's going, I think this might work. Um, it was more important to me to kind of get that he understand the feel and the theme of the book. Um, and he did a wonderful job with it. I was very pleased working with him and I'm going to be working with him, um, for the rest of the series as well. That's very cool. I think a lot of authors, and I and I run into this all the time, don't realize that as much as they want to include certain things on the cover and the cover should tell the story of the whole book and all that. No, that's not what the cover is supposed to do. That is not the cover's job. The cover's job is to get somebody to pick it up and go, oh, what's this? It looks like it's in my genre, not like I'm telling the entire tale of the story on the cover, you know, which I think a lot of authors when they first start out think that that's what's supposed to happen with a cover of a book mm -hmm. or something that means a lot to them. Some sort of poetic moment is going to mean yeah. the same to everybody else. Right. Or a poetic, scene or yeah. something from the book or something like that. Yeah. 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 Hidden meanings. <laughs> I knew enough to know that I was terrible at graphic design and that that was something that I shouldn't attempt myself. Um, and just talking to him, you know, he clearly had a good grasp on the market and was able to um, do some uh, beautiful, beautiful concepts for me. Um, so that was definitely the right decision. <laughs> no, I think that's awesome. So you're, you've done this whole thing. What made you decide to fully take the plunge to go, you know what, I'm going to do all these series. I'm going to do this now. I am going to be a writer, you know, because <laughs> some people put out a book and they're like, I did it. I put out a book. It's done. Check it off. Done. Yeah. yeah. Bucket list item. Yep. Done. I'm out. Well, I, I think probably because I never had in the back of my mind, oh, I think I'm, you know, I, one of my goals or one of my bucket list items was never to write a book. It was something, you know, the fact that I did write a book was kind of a surprise to me. Um, so when I, you know, just like 
as I'm a reader as well, an avid reader. And I, like you said before, I fall in love with characters and series and I fell in love with my own characters. And um, there was so much more, the world started to develop that they're in and there's so much more story left to tell. Um, my original, my first draft of the novel was 160,000 words. Wow. <laughs> so wow, yeah, I overrode a, a little bit. That's, that's legit. <laughs> That's, yep. a, that's a that's a something that's like a shogun that's what that is yeah that that's was legit. a big paperweight so i that was probably the most painful part other than um other than all the formatting at the end but one of the, the most painful part was one of the revisions before i sent it off to, to to the developmental editor was chunking that down i knew that it was way too long um most of it was filler and stuff that didn't move the plot forward so I kind of went out, went at it with a scalpel and I cut out everything that didn't push the plot forward or didn't um, speak really strongly toward like character development. Um, and then I saved all of it. I have like a cut file and my cut file is bigger than my actual um, manuscript file now um, for the first one, but um, it needed to be done. I knew that going in um, and I just overwrote the first time, which, which I think having an outline the second time has helped significantly. I think, you know, I think that's true. And it's good advice because there are some of us that, that can pants incredibly well and mm -hmm. they're, that fail miserably at outlining. I'm talking about myself because I <laughs> fail miserably at outlining, but I also know a lot of people that can get in all kinds of directions if they're pantsing, because they're like, well, on this idea, and then let's talk about the dress she wore on this day. And then you're like splattered and people are like, what is this story again? <laughs> like, yeah. Where were you beginning it? That's I caught exactly myself doing that today. To yeah, that's exactly what happened to yeah. me. It just kind of, there were little tangents that didn't need to be in the book, you know, little anecdotes that just weren't important to the plot that I ended up cutting out. So that's part of that. You, you know, we always talk about the glacier and that people only see the tip. Ah, paranormal romance. Um, but the <laughs> fact is, is there Nicely is done. all that story. You're allowed to have all that story. You're just not allowed to put that in the book. Like, exactly. Exactly. Many layers to the story. So yes. um, what about reviews before we go to break? Let's talk about what it was like when you first started getting reviews. Do you read your reviews? I have read them. I was terrified. I was really terrified at first. Um, I had done before anyone, um, I had had beta readers who'd read it, um, but other than that, um, no one else had read it and it went to um, submission for the Daphne du Maurier Award. And I got back a lot of critiques from that. As a finalist, you get to read all the critiques that they do. Um, and so that was really great constructive feedback. And I was terrified of that, but it was mostly positive. So I, I kind of felt like I, I had a great book, but of course everybody loves their baby. Everybody thinks their baby is one of own, perfect and beautiful. Um, so I was a little bit nervous about the first reviews as they came in. Um, I just wanted people to like it. And uh, once I started getting the good reviews in, it was um, a little bit of a like breather that I hadn't gotten any terrible reviews. I did get someone who picked it up um, I get, uh, from the Goodreads giveaway and they thought it was like a sci-fi romance or a sci-fi book and they didn't realize it was a romance and so she didn't rate it or anything but she put on there that oh this book wasn't for me there was the romance took front and center stage like that was too much I'm like well yeah it's, it's a did romance but thank you for the push yeah that's yeah. what I was gonna say did you actually read the blurb at all right. yeah. 
you know but it's kind of great actually because she's like you know this the fantasy world is fantastic i'm really interested in that but the romance really takes center stage and like great there's actually a great write-up because everyone else can read that and see that you know this is the type of book they're looking for so yeah very very cool okay we're gonna take a quick break and we will be right back with drinking with authors Hey, Martha. What? Do you like nerd stuff? I do. And do you like adult beverages? I super do. <laughs> well, then you should join us with a drink. With a drink. With a drink. On, but first, let's talk nerdy. Clink. <laughs> on the ESO Network. We'll see you on Tuesday. Maybe next Tuesday. Maybe. Our sponsor today on Drinking with Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrothersspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to read 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brothers Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunk. Okay, we're back. So um, now that you're not spending, um, what was it, eight years between books? Like something like that, if I was doing math, which I shouldn't be because I've been drinking. And I don't I was going to say, well yeah, no. To begin with. So I don't we're do still trying math. to figure out that I try, out I try that not 70%. to do math even when I'm not drinking. It doesn't turn out well. Mm -hmm. No, but when I'm drinking, I definitely think I'm better at it than when I'm sober. Oh. So there's that. I'm not better at it by any stretch of the imagination. I just You just think you are. Yeah, yeah, it's that confidence thing. Like, like your muscles. My confidence math goes muscles. up in things like the math. <laughs> I'm so the much math. better at math when I'm drunk. I'm not. Um, <laughs> but now that you've gone through that, what have you adjusted writing-wise in your life to be able to hit these timelines? For Even though you're self-published, actually, I should go back. Even though you're self-published, are you setting timelines for when you want the next book to come out? Yes, I am. I have... Um deadlines with my developmental editor as well and my copy editor which is more important because she's the last she's the last one but setting timelines external timelines really really helps without an external timeline and left to my own devices I will just go off into left field I will say oh I don't feel like writing I'm gonna go watch Netflix instead so if I don't do well with um, self limits so I do really need that external limit so getting myself my developmental editor um, has a six month wait for projects. So I need to get on her calendar early. So making sure I'm on her calendar really helps me um, polish everything up and get it to her in a timely fashion, which puts the pressure on me to write consistently every day. 
So that's great. Um, what is your timeline now? Just for inquiring. So the book. Inquiring mind. So I need to finish it. I need to finish up the book too. And then I need to do some revisions. I'll need to go through because the first draft is always really, really rough. And I need to go through and clean it up a little bit before I get it to her. So I'm giving myself until um, the end of November, beginning of December, kind of when my life gets crazy. Um, and my kids home, come home from college and I'll not get any writing done in December. But getting it finished up by then and then having January and February to polish it. And then I give it to her in March. And then Very I'll have it, have it back, do a month for revisions. And then I've got a couple extra weeks built in before it goes to the copy editor. So when is this next book going to be out? Um, hopefully July or August, depending on how well, if I can get it to the copy editor in time. Very cool. And so what is the name of, so um, book one is again, the title? Book one is The Ash Gardeners and book two will be The Soul Sowers. And book three um, is The God Builders. Oh, wow. That's very, very cool. So what is your time? So book two is supposed to be July, August. When is book three going to be out? I'm um, hopefully spring of the following year. So uh, spring 2024. So you're going for about a book a year. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very, very cool. Awesome. I would love, I would love, I'm so envious of authors who do, who write so fast. They can write, write a book and, and get it out in, you know, four, three, four, six months. And they do multiple books a year, two books, three books, five books a year. I just, eventually I'd like to get to that point, but right now I'm, I'm still slow. I edit too much while I'm writing and that's kind of a habit that I need to try to break. I'm working on it, but I, I self-edit too much as I go. So I think that's one of the things that slows me down a little bit. Well, as Danielle being one of those people that can churn out multiple books a year, I will say this. I actually got asked this the other day because although I don't put out as much as I'd like to, mainly because I've been doing publishing company and podcasting for three years and a full-time job up until recently. Um, but I will say this, and this is a time saver. When I'm actually able to write, I get the book done really, really fast. And this is how I do it, which a lot of people may listen to this and start screaming or, you know, whatever. But I actually do not edit at all as I'm going through the manuscript. What I do, and this is a tip, and the only reason I bring this up is because I was asked this the other day, is if there's something that's stuck or just not quite flowing, I just put a comment in comment, blah, 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 comment, this needs a sex scene, comment, the police code needs to go here. It can be anything from you need to put something in there, you need to look up a location, whatever, but I just don't stop. So then what I do is I actually just go through the entire manuscript and then I do a comment run. So comment run, comment, come, that sounds smart. Comment run. Oh. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm like, what are the sounds that go with this word? Um, and then I just, I don't go back to edit the book. I go back and just address the comments. I'm not trying to fix it. I just go and go, this needs a police code. Look up the police code, put the police code in there. This needs a sex scene, put the sex scene in there. This needs, and I'm not, I'm just man, randomly making up stuff. This needs yeah. the name of the movie theater here. Put the name of the movie theater. But just do that and then you do your read through to actually do the edits of the book because you put a lot of it in there, but I don't go back and reread. People are like, I go back and read it. Don't do that. Just like put a note for yourself where you're at of what to do next and then continue on. If you have an outline, put I'm at outline point six 
and then just go from outline point six, because I think that um, I said this, I think before, which is this, but then you start a manuscript and by the time you finish it, I don't care how big that manuscript is. You're a better author when you finish that manuscript than when you started it. And this can be the death of authors is that you will try to fix it and you're going to go through the same cyclic thing that you start to fix it again. And by the time you're done, you're a better writer than you were when you started to fix the thing. So you just go, this is a story, blah, 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 throw it all down, put comments in. I don't care if you have 300 comments in your manuscript or more. Seriously, don't go back through and try to find all the shrugs. You can do that after you filled out all the comments. And then I, what I do is I do control find for certain words that I'm terrible with. Shrug, yeah, nod, wink, mm -hmm. you know lip biting. There's all kinds of stuff that I'm very infamous for putting in my manuscripts. I do mm -hmm. the, you know, control fine, clean all those up. And then I just go through and I go, okay, let me read the story. And I change the font, change everything. And I read oh, the smart. story, right. And yeah. go, okay, this is me reading it. I do not recommend printing it out because I don't think we should print out things, but grab a tablet, read the story in comic sans on your tablet and you can always use a pen or whatever and circle what you need to and then go back and fix it. But I think that makes it go faster. That may not work for everyone, but that is my current, like how to get out of correcting yourself because you'll never get to the end of the manuscript if you don't do it that way. Yeah, it's hard. That's actually like simple, but genius. I'm going to definitely start doing that. The comments I've never, I use the comments when, you know, working with editors and beta readers and things like that, but I never use it for myself. So I don't know why I've never thought of that. That's fantastic. Yeah. I'm lazy inherently. And I noticed like when I was writing my first book, took me eight years, twinsies, um, my first full length novel that I put out, like I can short story, like a motherfucker. Like I can Same. give me something. I can write a short I can. story up to 10,000 no. words. Done. Yep. It's 2,500 yeah. words, done. Like I can do that. And yeah. a lot of the horror stuff I have out is because I've been able to be in anthologies and stuff and I've written short horror things and that's what I've managed to get out. So I keep writing. I am still publishing books. I said that earlier, but I've had several short stories during this time I have been not writing as much. But when I did my first book, that's what I realized I was doing was I was kept trying to fix it or say it better or whatever. And I'm like, just get the story out. So the next time, super mm -hmm. behind, had a deadline, and I went and I sat down and I went, okay, I'm just going to keep writing. I'm going to keep writing. Now, one of the flaws of this is a character changed names from one chapter to the next. Thank you, editors, for catching that, because the yeah. note I got back on that manuscript was, do you want to call him A or do you want to call him B? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, you changed the name. Which of these names do you like better? And I'm like, this name, thank you. Go team. Yep. <laughs> I had the same thing. I had an early beta mm -hmm. reader caught it and sent me a message. And it's like, is the brother's name this or this? Because you have it both ways throughout the entire manuscript. I'm like, I don't know. Pick one. <laughs> Whatever one you like better. Yeah. Exactly. That's yeah. what we do. But that's, I, I'm, I, it might be simple. And hopefully people listening, it might work because this is a trap I've seen so many people get into. Right. Yeah. And you're allowed. Yeah. And I wouldn't put necessarily a word limit on what you're doing. Do not go to 160,000. But if you're shooting for, you know, say 80,000, maybe be willing to go to 100,000, knowing that it's going to get sliced when you go back mm -hmm. through it, you know? 
Yeah. And don't judge, oh my gosh, I could write this better. No, go, is the story here that I want to tell? Is there any accuracy? When you're going back and rereading it, you're not trying to change the story. You're trying to right. make sure the story you wanted to tell is on the paper. And that's why you look at it in a different medium than you're used to looking into a different font, different font size, so that you can yeah. actually read the story. Does the story say what you want it to? Good. Then give it to your developmental editor who could put all the red on the damn page that they want to. Track changes. Lots, lots and lots and lots of red. I love you, Jen. Thank you. <laughs> Wait, well, they're supposed to. But anyway, that's my advice. Danielle, what about you? I as I'm listening to this, I just, it's funny because I had the opposite problem. I used to be very long-winded because we were discussing like, they don't need to know the bed canopy, you know, if it doesn't move the story along. And I had this problem as I'm working on um, volume two of the series. I, I'm, some of it, I'm just getting to 50,000 words because I've cut it down. So I'm not having like superfluous, you know, superfluous and, and this, all this extra stuff. I've tried right. to kind of hone the stories down more and get into what moves the story ahead. But you know me, I handwrite everything first and oh, then really? I go to the computer. I handwrite oh, everything. Wow. I wow. handwrite it all because one, you, oh, I don't have to worry about taking a laptop with me. I always have a journal with me. So if I get an idea, I can always write it down. I don't have to yeah. worry about, you know, do I have equipment? Do I, I've always got a pen and a piece of paper. So I can always yeah, write it down. And then I can put it, you know, I always call it building the skeleton. Then I can put the meat on the bones once I sit down in front of the computer and then build it out. And then I kind of edit as I go. And then, yeah. of course, names have changed many times as I get there. Dyslexia sets in and all of a sudden, you know, King Farjok becomes King Jarbok and things happen. But it's kind of funny as I'm listening to what Eric is saying, what you're saying, you know, just every writer's got their own methodology. It's so hard to narrow it down and say this way works or that way works. I'm a pantser. I totally fly by the seat of my pants. Don't know. And I just got stuck with doing something today where I was writing a scene. And the next thing I know, I'm like, the person's like tipping the person's chin up and looking at how, you know, the, the cherub quality of the child is melted away and you can almost see the woman she's going to become and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and then I realized, I was like, how does this move the scene along at all? Like the kid's crying and we're somehow deciding how one day she'll be a pretty girl. And I'm like, I just went off on a word count just to like, just to pad that word count that much. I just described something yeah. that nothing to do with it. And I'm like, and I thought of you, Erica, because I was like, she's going to kill me when she reads this. She's just going to be like, and why, why do we need this scene? Why do we need this paragraph? And I thought of you. I'm like, yep. Just next to my seat, Daniel, I'll grab your chin and I'll be like, the cherubness is melting away. Yeah, I'm like, you're going to look at me and be like, we needed this scene. Why? The kid's crying. What's going on? But to me, I was like, oh, but this will make sense in chapter 12. It was one of those author moments where I'm like, but my readers will understand this later on in the series. Yeah, I had one of those moments where it's like the deeper meaning of it all. Yeah. Yeah. It now, was, do you do that? Those. Do you do that when you're writing series and you you kind of you know you said you're a pantser, but do you have like an idea of where you're going in a series so that you can, um, like go back and seed kind of um like foreshadowing kind of stuff as you oh, go. Oh, I love doing that. That's yeah, I love doing that. That's the comic geek in me. I love yeah. dropping Easter eggs and then waiting. And I I like to go on Goodreads sometimes, and I love when that one reader goes. I want to see how this feather's coming back around from book one and I'll actually write to them and be like, 
don't worry, the feather's coming back. And I just had it happen in my fifth book where somebody wrote in, went, the feather came back from book one. And I just hearted it. I'm like, yes, it did. I told you what, you have to wait five books, but it came back. Well, I will will give this Easter egg piece of advice. A lot of authors who write series can get into like, we talk about Laurel K. Hamilton on the Anita Blake. I think she's on book 29 or 30 or something like that. Yeah, Um, the next one, they're finally getting married whatever after 29 books about time yeah, about time. Don't, don't, yeah. yeah i'll get on a tirade <laughs> i'm gonna just end it there because i'm not gonna <laughs> but here's the thing about this if you look at the early books she actually backed herself into a couple corners because of how she was yes. writing so i think it's important if you are going to do series ba- series based writing and especially in fantasy paranormal worlds fucking easter eggs everywhere put them whether you ever use them just note that you put them somewhere and it could be an easter egg that means nothing that they never go back to we all see that in tv shows and stuff where the you know red-headed girl walks in there and then the red-headed girl never shows back up ever again ever in any but they do that in a lot of television and stuff to give themselves a plot a way They'll out throw in a weird character that is momentarily there might not have anything to do with something like urgent but then you can bring him back so mm-hmm. i think it's important is to not go because to you know i think a lot of people who write series can see stories in their head and they can go mm-hmm. this is where i'm going or this is where i'm taking the main character through these little scenes that they're going through in each book but i think the best thing somebody can do is not try to figure it all out yes tell the next part of the story tell technically the next chapter of the story right Mm -hmm. and not try to go oh i'm gonna lead here just give yourself enough easter eggs and stuff that you can go as a matter of fact this person actually is royalty but you never mentioned it in book one through four but by the time you get to book 15 you're like he was actually a king but i left all these weird little hints that meant nothing and were a sentence that everybody's like, oh, I knew he was royalty. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Yes. That's totally what agree. the audience will get from it. And what you're doing <laughs> is building yourself a safe path so you don't go yep. like this with your story, which can yep. happen if you over plot a story. You can end up yeah. where you've let it down a path. And you, it's kind of like why we keep blowing up the Death Star in Star Wars. I'm a huge mm-hmm. Star Wars geek. But we yeah, keep yep. blowing up the Death Star in every single Star Wars movie. Like, that's all we do is continue. Like, the Death Star gets bigger, and now it's a planet, but now it's a this. It's all the Death yeah. Star. That's the entire plot, because the same thing. They, they started the movies backing them into, this is the major bad guy. This is the major thing the bad guy has. So you go, okay, what's beyond that? No, that was it. There's major battle station that can destroy planets. That's all we We're just going to redo that again. Yeah, and take two. Yeah, exactly. We're going to rebuild it and do that. Okay, it didn't work when we built it just out in space. So what we're going to do now is we're going to build it into a planet, right? Like, but that's the same weakness. Yeah, Yeah. I think when they wrote that, and especially when he first put that movie out, because nobody knew what the hell it was. And, you know, this wasn't a genre people were addicted to and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. He was like, oh, I'm running this one movie. And then he was like, oh, because if we all remember Star Wars, the Luke Leia thing Mm -hmm. was a little, little, little more too much that than it should have been. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and so it's just something to 
think I know we all went on that tangent. That's what happened. <laughs> a bottle of wine before my podcast. Yeah. Um, okay. I think it's important in a way to write. And one other thing I want to throw in, and then we can move on is I think writers do not do something that we inherently try to do in life, especially people who are in different professions. I think the majority of us try to do this. You know, Danielle was a nurse previously. <laughs> I, I ran HR globally. Um, we try to find efficiencies. We go, hey, where are we wasting time with this thing? We should streamline it. But as <coughs> writers, we never say that. We never go, you know, I am spending way too much time researching bed canopies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to stop doing that. Like, I think we think that, but we don't then go, how do I get away from doing this inherently time-wasting activity yeah. as I'm coughing? But you know what I mean? Like, I think that's something oh, yeah. I just thought of it. I learned that lesson. Who, yeah. Who wrote a whole hard book way. in Old English. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 I wrote a whole half of my book in old English because I thought it would add authenticity to me as a writer. Mm-hmm. And my editor threw it at me and went, what the hell is this? And I looked. Right no at one me. wants to read it. Yeah. Oh, no. I was like, it's Tudor England. Doesn't it? It gives you prithy and privy. And she just looked at me. She was like, Danielle, throw a couple thous and shall. And we call this a day. And I was like, good enough. I took a whole class in old English just to get it right and she's like no one's gonna read this honey and i'm like yeah but but it's it's like deborah harkness it's like it, it's it's legit and she was like no no it's and i had to redo that entire manuscript yeah the, the second half of that whole book all old english like i was so, oh well now you have a skill good. that you can put on your resume. no i threw it all out of my head I, I literally, I threw it all out of my head. I was so upset. Eric, if I had given you that, that manuscript, I think you would have choked me. Yeah, no, you, you wouldn't be where you are today if you had, because I would be like... Yeah, Thine Eyes of Mercy was all done in Old English, the second half of that book. Oh, wow. That's unfortunate. Yeah. And that's efficiency for you. Well, you know, I saw a submission the other day that was interesting. It was, um, it was a book about orcs, right? It was orcs, but... Um, very popular right now so it is but the entire dialogue was written in very broken english and not like this lends itself to a character because he'll be like mom going to the store or you know Mm -hmm. what i mean i'm gonna go get a slushy it was very and i'm sorry i did a southern accent for that but i lived in florida a really long time so i was going with that um but it was very like you had to get into it, which I could totally see the author probably loved and admired having done this. But I was like, no, no, because you're going to lose your reader. You have to remember mm-hmm. that although you're writing this piece of art, there is an audience you're trying to give the art to. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like there are tropes and there are things you can do to make your story better than any other paranormal romance story. There's a ton of paranormal romance stories. Right. Yeah. As a great writer, you do something, you bring an element to it, right? But you can't then have this paranormal romance turn into a horror thing and have all this gore in it and label it paranormal romance and go, no, he's a werewolf. He eats all the people, but they're in love. Like, doesn't know yeah. your audience, unless you now go paranormal romance horror, like, <laughs> add a tag to it. 
I don't know. I might read that actually. <laughs> I'd read it, but I wouldn't, if I was going for a pure paranormal romance and then all of a sudden it switched, it or was it an war story in the middle of this paranormal romance and you didn't know that, there's a certain expectation when you're reading some of the books about what you like. And I think that's mm-hmm. how you can lose your audience by not leaving them. Right, cross genre. I love Danielle will tell you this, cross genre the crap out of a book, but at least indicate that you've cross genre the crap out of it and put the right cover on it. So people aren't like, oh, this is a hometown romance. And then you open it up and, you know, Bucky's killing everybody. What? What? What just happened? Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was a hard thing with deciding how to market. And I still struggle with that a little bit because I have a lot of speculative elements. It's a, it's a contemporary fantasy. Um, I think it probably, um, it's in its truest genre would be called supernatural romance. Um, uh, but it has speculative elements. It has a lot of fantasy elements in it, but it's set in a world that, you know, readers are going to be familiar with. Um, so it's, it is a little bit hard to promote. Cause if you look, if you, you know, type in sci-fi romance on the Zon, you're going to get like lots of blue and green naked alien male chests. And so it doesn't, you know, it's people who are typing those keywords in aren't really looking for you know supernatural um so paranormal romance is really kind of the niche that it fits in the best because that's the closest i think to supernatural romance because i don't have werewolves or vampires or anything like that but i do have um supernatural creatures that have like or i have reapers and i have people that have more like x-men abilities well and mm-hmm. here's the thing there is a lot of genres and i'm glad you brought that up because it's something that I, I talk about a lot. There is a lot of genres like superhero romance. You could put mm-hmm. that in and put that as a thing. Now, whether or not it's a code, you put it in your keywords, all of yeah. that, because what happens every single year is they update, update bisect codes based on purchases and search parameters for what's done. Like if mm-hmm. you went back 10 years, you wouldn't see necessarily paranormal romance. Like that's not right. a you know, it might not be 10 years, so whatever judging me on this, but it wasn't that long ago that paranormal romance became a category. It wasn't always a category. It was romance and then separate paranormal, right? Like if you go on Amazon to upload your books, right? Like for instance, there's a category erotica. That's it. Right. It's not what kind of erotica, it's just erotica. But if you go on the bicep codes, there's dozens and dozens of erotica bisect codes because it gets into the LGBT male, male, like specific, like, you know, there's tentacle porn, whatever, like your thing is there are bisect codes for these kind of things. Yeah. So I think as, um, as a, as self-published author and as indie authors and indie publishers and smaller publishers that are breaking out, you have to be willing to go, this is cool. This isn't a bisect code, but I'm going to and make it a bisect code and I'm going to put it out there and publicize. And yeah, it's a difficult road, yeah. but then when you're writing it and you're writing your second and your third and your stuff, it goes into the right category. So people mm-hmm. don't go, oh, I thought this was a paranormal romance and it's a superhero. Not that people are saying that, but it's just an no, example. Right, yeah. where you can, yeah. we, we actually, as the authors of the world, create the categories of books we just got to not let publishers tell us that we can't do it that way. That's what I love. Yeah. And that's one of the things that just taking working, taking classes and listening to folks like Joanna Penn and Sasha Black um, and other indie authors, 
you know, that's what I love about the indie publishing world, because really the indie publishers and indie authors are kind of the ahead of trends, it seems like to me, whereas trad publishing is kind of like the person tied by the ankles dragging down the road behind the horse, you know, we're mm-hmm. dragging them along with us. Yes, they they're trying to keep up. Well, because they're and trying to keep scary. everything in their lane and it's not in their lane anymore, but they're like, no, this is the lane. We have to have this. Yeah, and I heard some, I heard some, I don't know if I want to call them horror stories, but I heard some kind of some sobering advice from people who had been traditional, who were still traditional authors, that just kind of made me think that that's not the way that I wanted to go at the same time that I was kind of taking some of these classes and, um, you know, learning that I did have some of the skills to be able to do what I needed to do. So it was kind of a, um, a process that I went through at that point, but you know, nerves about traditional publishing and where that industry was going. And then also seeing all the great things that indie publishers were doing. So. Yeah, no, I agree. As, as, a, as one of those publishers, I agree hundred percent. Cause I'm like, it doesn't have to be this way. And yeah. there's a lot that will go, no, it has to be this way. It's true in indie too. You have to be very careful because people go, right. you have to write this way. No, no, you don't. You can write however you want to. You just That's one of the things out, like, Hey audience, I'm here. That's what you yeah. Come find me. Come find me. Yeah. And that's one of the things too. I think the one thing that I will say about traditional publishing is the timelines. The timelines are so much longer. You have so much longer to work on a book. That would be a luxury. And there's so much pressure um, as an indie author. I already feel it, you know, just trying to like slam out the next book. Um, You know, and I have, you know, one book a year is a pretty slow timeline for an indie author. Um, there's a lot of pressure to do a really strong rapid release. And I just don't, I have a full-time job. I have family. I just don't have the ability right now to do that, but I'm working toward it. I'm trying to get faster, but I still think um, that would be a benefit to being traditionally published for folks who want a little bit more time to work on. Oh yeah. No, and people, and, but the, 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 the side effect of that is they might go, well, I'll take your first one and then never do book two or three and drop you. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard that happen to people too. Yeah. Yeah. Just because you get the traditional published um, contract, it also mm-hmm. a lot of times means that one, they have complete say over how it's going to be edited. You have no say over your cover. And if you don't rank, they'll give you a ranking that mm-hmm. you have to hit. And if you don't hit that in the first 30 days, you don't get any more publicity or marketing. That's it. They're not going to waste any more time. Yeah. Yeah. That was the contract I was given. Uh, and that was from one of the big three from their metaphysical imprint was that they were mm-hmm. looking at me and they said, we just, they wanted um, my fiction book, but they said, we only signed three fiction books a year. We just signed our three, this, but we really want this We're book done. come back to us um, in January when our submissions open. And this was in March and they said, um, and we're going to take this, but divide it in half come back to us, make these little changes. And they said, and the way it worked out, I had found, um, I had, my lawyer had spoken to somebody who had already been signed by them. And they said, um, you know, it's about a $5,000, you know, upfront. And I was like, wow, that sounds great. And the guy was like, and my lawyer was like, yeah, but he's like, you then have to make that money back for them. Right. And I was like, Oh, and I'm like, and they okay. may not earn out. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, and you have no say on the cover. He's like, you have no say on editing. He's like, and if you don't rank on Amazon and and he's like in these categories, he's like in the first month, he's like, you're not getting any more marketing help. He's like, and you're not getting any publicity in 30 days. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what makes them think I'm going to rank on that? He's like, I don't know. (laughs) He was was like, I don't know what they think. He's like, your guess is as good as mine. And I had to submit uh, a two minute elevator pitch video so they could see me because I said, 
don't they just want a headshot? And he's like, no, they need to see you in video to make sure that you're not pulling like a bait and switch and that it's not filtered. (laughs) He's like, you actually have to speak on your book on camera. And I had to do all that. And that was just to get the book in the door. Mm, And I'm like, and so then we wound up not going forward. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, this is all news. And then I wound up with Erica. So, you know, it all worked out. Yeah. And that was part of it too. It's like, I'm such a control freak for some things, not everything, but with not having say on kind of some of the edits and especially like cover design and that sort of thing, I wanted to be able to have a book that I 100% loved all the aspects of. And I was a little afraid of, you know, giving that control over to someone else. Um, And, uh, you know, working with editors is different because there's a feedback and there's a back and forth and it's, you know, you know, critique and it, uh, you can take it or leave it, you know, what they say, it's still ultimate your decision. But that was one of the, one of the things that also was a check in the box for self-publishing that um, really it was an easy decision in the end. Very cool. Okay, Danielle, you get the final question before shameless self-promotion time. Now that you've, you've got the first book under your belt, you're working on the series. What do you think you'll do differently when the second series comes around? On the second series, I'm going to try to write all four books first before I put them out, before I put the first one out. I want to, I'm going to um, shoot for a lower word count. Um, I am at 95,000 words with my first book and we'll be pretty close with the other two in the series. But with the second series, I want to shoot for a slightly shorter uh, word count and then um, write them all in a year and then uh, release them all in a year, the same year. Very cool. Yeah, that's go. the goal. That's the plan. We'll see if it happens. No, I think it's a great plan. That's exactly. And some people would also recommend if you're doing it that way, write the and just write the entire story all the way through, and then figure out where to break it. Then yeah, chop yeah, it up. Top it up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then That's just have your ed- developmental editor help you go. Okay, this is where we're gonna Empire Strikes Back the book one, two, and yep. three, and then we'll be good for book four. There will be no Death Stars exploded in my series, though, I can promise. No, I appreciate that. I just love The Empire Strikes Back had one of the best cliffhanger endings. So I always tell authors, I'm like, you need to Empire Strikes Back that ending. Like, you need to do the best cliffhanger at the end of that book. I do like a cliffhanger. As a reader, although a lot of readers hate it, I do love a cliffhanger. Um, I like some things to tie up. I like the main story to be tied up, but I don't mind in a series to have some of the other things kind of unresolved. It makes me want to keep reading. Well, here's the thing. Cliffhangers work if you get your books out and they can read right. the book. Cliffhangers are annoying when there's no book or maybe, and that's why you'll find a lot of readers now are like, oh, it's a series. Is the series done? Or are there at least five books in it so that I'm not like ending up in the middle of, oh, I read this great book because, you know, a lot of people I know read Kindle Unlimited. I don't like it for the reason there's a lot of those like never ending story kind of like books on okay. there. <laughs> where yeah. book two never came out or book three never came out and the empire strike back and you're like okay well what happens what happens next mm-hmm. yeah okay shameless self-promotion time my friend tell them where to find the book where to find you on social media let's do it so you can buy direct if you want signed print copies you can buy direct from my website which is jamberhints.com you can also find me on Amazon, you can find me on Barnes and Noble, Target, um, Kobo, Apple, um, anywhere basically where you can buy print and ebooks. Very. Um, you can good. follow me on social media. I'm on all the social media channels. I haven't I haven't picked a favorite yet, so I try to divide my time between all of those children equally. Um, I'm 
So join me. I'm at J Amber Hints on all my social media except for TikTok. It's author J Amber Hints. Very cool. Did you um, have a newsletter everybody can sign up for on your website? I do. I sure do. Yes. Awesome. So sign up and keep track because she's got all these great books coming out. So you got to sign up so you know when it's happening. That's right. Okay. Well, guys, this has been Drinking with Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. Um, Our sponsor today has been Skunk Brothers Spirits. My amazing co-host is Danielle Orsino. Don't be shy. Like and subscribe. Leave us a little bit of feedback wherever you're listening to this podcast. And I want to thank you, Jay Emberhintz, for being on our podcast today. And we will see you guys next time. Great. Thanks for having me. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.